Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. message that the Lord laid on my heart. I'm not sure how many of you preachers understand, you know, I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm probably the second newest kid on the block because I'm, I hardly ever see a lot of you folks, but you preachers, are, you're, you're more seasoned than I am. And I've only been saved 17 years, but I did find out that if you get in this book and study it and God puts you behind the pulpit, uh, it doesn't matter who's out there. You set your forehead like a flint and you just rear back and preach. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be an arrogant young preacher. I don't want to be one of those kind of people. But I do I do have the authority from God to preach this book with, with you know, I, I want to have I want to have your ear and I want to have your heart. But I want to push the devils of hell out of here if there's any around and let them know that the authority of God's word way overpowers anything that they may be trying to do in our hearts and minds today. And I want to preach a message that the Lord's like, you know, men of God, that I had a guy, a young preacher asked me one time. He said, how do you know that you when you say God, God told me to preach this? How, what do you mean God told you to preach it? I said, here's how you know God wants you to preach a message. You wake up in the morning and you can't get it off of your heart. All you can think about is that message. That's the Holy Ghost telling you that's what you're supposed to preach. And, um, and that's what I want to do this afternoon for just a few moments. Second Kings chapter 11, and I want to read the first uh, 14 verses, and you should be familiar. I'm preaching to, to, to the choir here tonight. Of this afternoon, and I know that you've studied your Bible, so I'll take for granted that you um, you know about where we're at in your in your Bible, and uh, chapter eleven of Second Kings, very cool story, great story to study. Verse number one, we'll begin reading. And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons which were slain and they hid him even him and his nurse in the bedchamber from Athaliah so that he was not slain and he was with her hid in the house of the Lord six years and Athaliah did reign over the land and the seventh year Jehoiada sent and fetched the rulers over hundreds with the captains and the guard and brought them to him into the house of the Lord and made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son jump down to verse 8 he says you shall compass the king around about every man with his weapons in his hand. Don't forget that. And he that cometh within the ranges, let him be slain. And be ye with the king as he goeth out and as he cometh in. And the captains over the hundreds did according to all things that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And they took every man his men that were to come in on the Sabbath with them that should go out on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And I want to pick up my text in verses 10 and 11. And to the captains over hundreds did the priest give King David spears and shields. This is my cousin David's favorite verse. It has David spears right there. He loves that verse. He don't even go to church, but that's the one verse that he loves. I said, you know your full names in the Bible, David Spears? He said, really? I showed it to him. He came to church one time for it. He said, did the priest give King David spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord? And the guard stood, every man with his weapons in his hand. 
round about the king from the right corner of the temple to the left corner of the temple along by the altar and the temple. And he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony. And they made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, God save the king. And when Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she came to the people into the temple of the Lord. Watch this. And when she looked, what did she see? We're going to find out in a moment. She looked at something. And what she looked at, behold, the king stood by a pillar as the manner was, and the princes and the trumpeters by the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced and blew with trumpets. And Hillary, I mean, and Athaliah rent her clothes and cried, treason, treason. And you'll find later in the verse uh, of the chapter that she was slain. Father, oh God, help me. I love you with all my heart. I pray that you'd give me the anointing that only you can give for the next few moments. These people, Lord, they need to just hear something from your book. A fresh look at this old book. And I pray that you just give me liberty. Let the light outshine the darkness. I pray that you, Lord, I need you like the heartbeat that's in my chest. And I want to thank you for this opportunity to mount this pulpit. Help me to preach. Help my mind to focus. Help me to remember what you want me to remember. And close out what I'm not supposed to say. In the name of Jesus Christ, my Savior, I pray it. Amen and amen. Now, to get right into the message, when King David would win a battle, he would take the enemy's armor, he would take the enemy's weapons, and he would take them home for trophies of victory. You know, he uh, even later on in his life, he went back and got the sword of Goliath and took it when he was on the run from Saul. He had had that hanging in a place where it could be memorialized. I mean, various shields and spears he would take into the temple and he would put them in the house of the Lord to symbolize victory. After Solomon built the temple, all of those trophies were hung up as symbols and reminders of all the noble, brave men who had fought in the battle. But it wasn't so much David's generation who needed these trophies and reminders and memorials. It was going to be the generations to follow later on down the road. Now, there's always going to be a generation who knows not Joseph and Egypt. And by the way, we've got a generation coming up who needs their rear ends kicked. I'm just telling you the truth, man. We got a bunch of sissies growing up uh, who think every time they don't get their way, they need a puppy dog or a coloring book uh, or burn a flag. Let me tell you, that's not freedom of speech, man. That's treason. Amen. Uh, we, we've got a generation coming up who has no idea what our forefathers went through to give us the liberties that we have today. I, I don't like it. I'm just telling you, I get indignant about the whole deal. Uh, the Air Force Museum is not for those whom it commemorates uh, or memorializes. Most of those people are dead, right or wrong. But what it's for is the generation that's alive now so that we don't forget uh, those who gave their lives in the past so that we can enjoy what we have now and in the future. When we, when we go to those armed forces mu museums, it's, uh, it's so that we don't forget the sacrifice uh, and we can appreciate our freedom. I don't, I tell you, man, it's been some time ago, but I got in the flesh one time. I seen this dude with his pants pulled down and his hat turned backwards and had to look like he had a hubcap around his neck. He'd come in juking and jiving and, and there was an old man that had a, uh, a vet hat on. You could tell, man, he had lost one of his legs in the war and he had, he had a vet hat on and he was in the line at a Wendy's and this, this, 
young punk come walking in and he was juking and jiving and walked up and just started disrespecting that old vet that had lost his leg in the war. I didn't like it, man. I ate about five seconds of it. I grabbed him by the back of the shirt, jerked him backwards and put a choke on him, man. I said, listen to me, you pimple-faced punk. I said, you respect that, man. I'm going to beat the devil out of you right here. I said, in fact, you ought to go buy his lunch. And half of Wendy stood up and gave me a standing ovation for it. People's tired of that mess. We ought to respect and honor those people who have given their lives for our country. And so after David dies, darker days begin to arise. But somebody had enough wisdom to know that those trophies would be needed later on in another generation. Why is that? To build faith for future warriors. Man, we need some future warriors. A lot of times we'll hear sermons and principles and songs and doctrine over and over and over. And some of the young people say, why do we hear that so many times? It doesn't seem significant. It doesn't seem necessary at the time. But listen, it is needed for the future. A lot of what I know and what I believe today right now at 48 years old was hung on the walls of my church as a child. And I heard victory in Jesus over and over. I heard that hell is hot over and over. I heard about the old rugged cross over and over and when I got to be an older man some of the things that I know in my heart right now about some of the some of the, the morals and values that God has given me since I've been saved is because they were hung on the walls of my church when an old-fashioned man of God would mount that pulpit and spit fire at me as a young boy he was hanging trophies on the wall hallelujah I'm glad I got some memorials in my life yeah it's needed for the future some of the things I learned as a child, I will draw from the rest of my life, Brother Williamson, the rest of my life. Some of the things that I, I believe right now, I man, it all goes back to a man of God. Brother Fleming, I'm just going to say his name, man, my grandpastor. I love him. I, I'm, you're not going to hear a bad word out of my mouth for that man of God. He won my daddy to the Lord in 1972. I'd have been raised by a drunkard had that man of God not hung my daddy out over hell for about 20 minutes and condemned him under the law. And then after about 20 minutes of condemnation... He said, now there's good news, man. You ain't got to go to that place called hell. There's a man named Jesus who shed his blood on a hill called Calvary. And my mom and dad walked an old-fashioned aisle to an old-fashioned altar and got John 3.3, 3, born again, washed in the blood, and God gave me a heritage. Yeah, and I feel good about it, too. So our text refers to Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab, and she was the king's wife, Israel's king. Jehoram was the king of Judah. Athaliah was an evil woman. Don't name your daughter Athaliah. She vexed God's people for almost seven years. You know that. During her reign, she did her best to purge Judah of all of David's descendants. She wanted to erase history, change the future, break down the monuments, tear up the statues, and act like it never happened. And the people were pushed and tried to their limit. They were sick and tired of corruption and lies and fake news and oppression and poverty and lust and greed in the White House. They're sick of it. So the time comes for this wicked woman to be put to death. Lock her up. Drain the swamp. And the young prince who had been hidden away is to become king and his name is Joash. So everything was organized and planned out, and Joash is to be proclaimed king in the temple court. 
Now what's interesting to me was verse number 10, and here's where I'm going to draw my text from for the time I've got left. And to the captains over hundreds, did the priest give King David spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord? Now, since the temple faced east, evidently the guards made a semicircular arc in front of the building from its northeast to its southeast corners. It created a shielded area in the temple, in the courtyard. This is where the anointing is going to take place. So the weapons used in the coronation or the ceremony would be a reminder and a symbol that this ceremony was official. If you study history and the timeline in your Bible, this is 134 years after David dies. 134 years. David died in 970 B.C. Joash is crowned 836 B.C. That's 134 years after David dies. And those old weapons are still available 134 years after he's dead. There's a parallel verse you can go home and study in 2 Chronicles chapter 23. So the Levites and the friends were armed with David's old weapons. In verse number 10. And I want to preach on the old weapons still work. The old weapons still work. We need to realize that what has been handed down to us is for our protection. Listen. So when Athalia came in and saw, the Bible says she saw that young man, that king, surrounded by guards. And those guards were all holding those old weapons of war. Those weapons that were passed down from King David. And when she saw that they were ready and armed and anxious to protect that young new king she tore her clothes and screamed treason treason those old weapons those old trophies made a huge statement to the enemy they were proclaiming we're not giving in we're going back to the real thing those are our weapons we will use them listen Satan is after your home he's after your marriage he's after your kids he's after your church and you better have something more than a certificate that said I've been baptized when the devils of hell come up against you buddy you better have more than dollar store religion you better have more than some words that you quoted out of some VBS you better have the son of God living inside you and you better have have some old weapons that uh, when the devil comes up against you and your family uh, you hold up some of those weapons and they look and say oh no man he's serious uh, look at the weapons he's holding that's not the new age weapons there buddy I know about them weapons and the devil will look at you and look at what you're holding in your life and say treason treason he switched sides for sure I remember when I got saved preacher I got saved by the grace of God and I went back to my roots and I picked up some old weapons that have been handed down to me throughout the years. Oh, the devil came at me like a flood, baby. He come at me, wanted to tear up my marriage, wanted to take down my kids, wanted to take down my family, but I decided to hold on to some old weapons. And when he saw I was a hold of the old stuff, he backed up a little bit and said, I don't think we can get him. God's going to use him. He got the old weapons that's been passed down from years to years. I want to give you some real fast. Some of the old weapons in my life that I have chose to pass down to my kids and to my church and the generations coming up. Number one's that King James Bible. I ain't letting go of it. I still, I still believe in the old King James. I may never be rich. I may never have fame. But I'll go to my grave telling the same. I still believe in the old King James. Some call me old fashioned. 
passion. Some say I'm insane. But my God's on the throne. He'll never change. So laugh if you want and mock if you may. But I still believe in the old King James. Well, listen to me, you old liberal crowd. I stand high on a hill. I shout it out loud. Because that old book was read the day I got saved. I still believe in the old King James. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, you know it, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Sounds like a weapon to me. I'm sticking with the old weapons. I remember Brother Sammy Allen telling this story. I'll never forget it. I laughed so hard. He said he was preaching somewhere and he used it for an illustration. I wrote it down. He said him and his boys was out knocking on doors. They knocked on this certain door, and a woman answered the door. She was provocatively dressed, and he had some of his boys with him, and, and he began to witness to them, and, and she, they invited her to church. She said, well, what kind of Bible do you use? He said, we use the King James 1611. She said, oh, I won't be coming to your church. He said, ma'am, that's okay. It's America. You can go to church where you want to, but why the sudden impact of I'm not going to your church? She said, oh, I've got a King James Bible in my closet, but I don't read it. He said, well, why not? She said, it makes me feel guilty of what I do for a living. I'm a prostitute. She said, I can read any other version of the Bible and I don't feel guilty, but when I read that King James Bible, it puts guilt on me. I say, praise God. That's what it's supposed to do. That King James Bible will slice you coming and going, buddy. That's what got me to Jesus. That's what quickened me. That's what told me I was a sinner, friend. I'm glad it spoke truth to my soul. I'm not putting down my King James Bible. I said, old weapon's been passed down to me. Number two, prayer. Prayer is a weapon. The Bible says in James chapter 5, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I'm glad my mom and dad didn't quit praying for me. I'm glad when my wife, we, we, it's funny man, about the time we were both being uh, converted, I, I didn't know our bathroom at the home we just moved out of we gave that home to our daughter. So that bathroom means a lot to us because I would go in that bathroom and lock the door and just put the lid down on the toilet and sit there and bawl like a baby. I was under conviction. I'd, I'd stay in there for sometimes 30, 45 minutes Cry my eyes out, didn't even know why. You know what that was? That was mom and dad praying for me. That was the whole old country church praying for me. Brother Earl Green and some of them men of God praying for me. I'd come out of the bathroom and I'd act like I hadn't been crying and she'd go in right after me and I didn't know it, but we found out later she was going in there to pray and call out to God. I'd come out, she'd go in and we'd cry. We didn't even know each other was in there praying. I was sick and tired of doing dope and riding with hell's angels and sticking needles in my arms and getting tattoos all over my body. It wasn't doing the job anymore. All I knew was the bloodhounds of heaven was on my heels. God was listening to mom and daddy's prayers and God was about to arrest my soul, honey. You know what that's called? Conviction! conviction. <laughs> I was reading in John chapter number two, you know, the, the marriage of Cana, the Bible says that he had run out of wine at that marriage. And Jesus told his servants, he said, I want you to take six stone pots. That's the number of man, right? Six stone pots and fill them up with water. I began to look at that. God showed me a picture of the hearts of men and women without Jesus Christ as their savior, because six is the number of man. And that stone, that's a picture of man's heart. Ezekiel says, God says, I will take the stony heart out and put in a heart of flesh. I began to see a great picture of men and women being converted because Jesus said to his servants, I want you to fill up those stone pots with water. Water is a picture of the word of God. And somewhere between when those servants filled
filled those stone pots up with water and the king dipped into it, Jesus Christ turned the water into wine. Wine is a picture of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, why are you telling me that? As a little boy, man, going to Alpine Baptist Church, Brother Fleming would preach to me and my mom and dad on the every, just about every evening would sit me down in the living room, my brother, my sister, and I, and make us memorize Psalm 1, Psalm 8, Psalm 23, Psalm 100, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Hebrews 11. And I remember growing up thinking, Mom, why we got to memorize the Bible? We go to church Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then in the evening, we don't even get to play. Man, we got to sit down and read the Bible. You know what Mama was doing? She was pumping that stone heart full of water, buddy. She was filling me up with the Word of God. At the age of 17 and a half years old, I jumped the trail, jumped the rail and hit the trail, landed in the hog pail, and for all those years, I can't tell you how many times I'd be sitting on a bar stool in some crack house or tattoo parlor, and out of nowhere, some verse of scripture come to my mind that mama had pumped into me as a little boy. I remember one time, for instance, I was heading up I-77 towards Rock Hill. There was about 50 Carolina rebels in front of me, and Hell's Angels, I was in about the middle of the pack. I had 21-inch ape hangers and tattoos all over my body, dope in my veins, and hair down to my belt. And you can ask my wife, I thought I had the world by the tail and a downhill drag. I'll never forget rolling thunder and power rain heading up I-77 in a group of Hells Angels and Carolina Rebels. I'm supposed to be going to have a good time, preacher. I'm supposed to be going up there to just cop a buzz and live it up and show off my colors and all that. And out of nowhere, in the middle of a group of Hells Angels, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And I got to the end of that chapter. I'm riding down the road with liquor on my breath, uh, heading to another motorcycle rally, and all I can think of uh, is the way of the ungodly shall perish. The way of the ungodly shall perish. And tears would roll down my face. Are you listening to me? You say, what was that? That was God starting to turn the water into wine, baby. Hey, mama couldn't do it. And daddy couldn't do it. But October the 27th, 2003, about 930 in the morning, Jesus turned the water into wine. And I got washed in the blood of the lamb. You know what that is? That's mama's prayers and daddy's prayers. That's a weapon that's been passed down. And I want to pass it down to my youngins. Amen. My King James Bible. Prayer is a weapon. Faith is a weapon. That's got to be passed down. Well, Mom, I can't see it. It's called faith. Dad, I can't hear it. It's called faith. But Dad, I don't understand how it's going to turn out. you got to trust the Lord. If your youngins see Mom and Dad biting their fingernails to the quick, Pulling their hair out, taking Xanax and Valium every time they can't pay a bill. You know what your kids are going to do? They're going to think you serve a weak God. And the Bible says, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, 1 John 5, 4, even our faith. I was reading this morning in 2 Kings chapter number 3. Let me share this with you. Turn there quickly. In 2 Kings chapter 3, just turn back a few pages. In verse number 16, and he said... Thus saith the Lord. I'm feeling good today. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> and he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, You shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. 
And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand, and you shall smite every fenced city, every choice city, and shall fell every good tree, and stop all wells of water, and mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered, that behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. Now wait a minute, God. We're already in a valley. We're dry and we're thirsty. And you see us down here in this valley. Anybody been in a valley lately? And our precious loving God, while we're in the valley, says, now get down even lower and dig in the valley. Wait a minute, God. I'm already down in the valley. I'm about as low as I thought I could get. And you want me to start digging? Yeah, because if you'll do what I tell you to do while you're in, get, get down as low as you can and then you go lower. And if you'll do it by faith, when I'm ready, I'll fill that valley full of water. I can't tell you some of the valleys I've been in. And I'm thinking, okay, God, you're just going to rescue me. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm walking with you, Lord. You know, I'm preaching meetings and I'm pastoring a church and I'm giving my life to you. God, you're not going to let me go any further down. And God says, you're in the valley, huh? Dig, boy. Dig. And you know, my old flesh says, I, 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 I can't. I don't have the strength. And God says, you got enough faith to believe in me to save you? Dig. You get down there and you start digging. Say, preacher, what are you talking about? You start digging in the valley. Right. <laughs> and you start getting the earth out of the way. And you start getting this world to the side. And you start focusing on heavenly things. And you get up above the clouds. And you get up in that third heaven. And out of nowhere, God begins to flood that valley with water. <laughs> Woo! Glory! I'm telling you, I, I hit a goalie washer just about a couple weeks ago at my father's funeral. Man, I thought, God, if I could just get through this, just get me through this day. i got to preach my daddy's funeral. I've got lost people going to be there, family members. I'm talking about some wild humans, wild beasts of the earth are going to carry my father's casket from the church house to the cemetery. And, Lord, I'm already in a valley, and you're going to make me dig in this valley? God says, son, I'll show up if you'll just start digging. I don't know if you've seen my daddy's funeral, honey, but I'm going to tell you something heaven came down and glory began to fill our souls and in the middle of one of my deepest darkest valleys I've ever been in my life God sent a gully washer Woo! I'm telling you man just start digging by faith Amen. you're not going to see it you may not even see a cloud in the sky but you're going to need water and out of nowhere God's going to send the rain it's called faith I want to pass that down to my children I want to pass it down to my church I'm pastoring a church, man, that people are watching their pastor. And I'm not their God, but i tell you what I do. I, I'm their under-shepherd, and, and wherever direction I lead them, man, they're going to go. I want to teach them. Dig in the valley by faith. And then lastly, this is my favorite one, because I love praising God. Now, it ticks off a lot of Pharisees when I go to some of these meetings. I'm just going to be honest with you, because I'm, I'm who I am no matter where I'm at. I love Jesus Christ as my Savior. He saved me from a, I'm talking about a lifestyle of destruction. My wife is with me today, and I promise you what I tell you probably does not magnify it to the extent that it needs to be. I was a wicked, vile individual. I say that for a reason, because when I come to meetings and Brother Josh, I start shouting and hooting and hollering. and I'm out to run a lap, put my hands up in the air, clap for Jesus, do something for God. You know what? Some people look at me and they go, I wish you would just calm down. I don't think all that's necessary. <laughs> Hebrews says it's the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips. When I get happy for Jesus, when I begin to praise the Lord, it's almost like the, the, the more exhilarant I get for the Lord, 
The more I praise him openly, anybody can praise him in church. Some of y'all don't even praise him in church. You ain't going to praise him in Walmart if you can't praise him in church. It's time to get over yourself. You know what I found out? God fights for me a whole lot more. When I, when I am facing a battle, I normally I'll just go praise God somewhere in open public. And people will look at you. They think you're crazy. I don't care. I am crazy. But praise is a weapon. It's a weapon. I, was, I seen this picture the other day. I'll give you this and I'm going to sit down and be quiet. Look at Jeremiah chapter 38. <laughs> Jeremiah is in a pit. He needs out. He don't like it in the pit. Some, I mean, there's, there's a couple of different ways to get in the pit. I mean, three different ways, really. One way is you trip and you fall and you get in that pit. Anybody done that? Another way is when someone you trust or love or a stranger or another person pushes you in a pit. And then sometimes we just look at that pit and go, oh, that's a pit. I'm going to jump in it. <laughs> but nevertheless, a pit is a pit. And when you're in that pit, you wish you wasn't in that pit and you want to get out of that pit. Regardless of why Jeremiah is in the pit. Now, he's preaching the word of God and God has allowed this, but he's in a pit and he wants out of the pit. So watch this picture in verse number eight. Ebedmelech went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah, the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is like to die for hunger in the place where he is. For there is no more bread in the city. Dungeon, pit, work with me. Then the king commanded Ebedmelech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take from thence thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he die. Most scholars say that this dungeon is similar to a pit. That's why I'm using pit. So Abedmelech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took thence, watch this, old cast clouts and old rotten rags and let them down by cords into the dungeon to Jeremiah. And Abedmelech the Ethiopian said unto Jeremiah, watch this, put these old cast clouts and rotten rags under thine armholes, under the cords. And Jeremiah did so. So they drew up Jeremiah with cords and took him up out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Now watch this. I saw those class clout rags, those rotten rags as a picture of our praise. You look at those rotten rags and you say, that has no substance to it. There's no way those rotten rags will lift a full-grown man out of a pit or out of a dungeon. Certainly they'll break. Certainly they'll rip apart. Certainly they have no power to pull that man out of that low place in life that he's in. But they told him to put him under his armpits. In order to put him under his armpits, if you play it out in your mind, I'm looking at him doing this right here. He's putting them arms up in the air. He's putting that praise up. And out of nowhere, what people thought would never get him out, that picture of praise begins to lift him up out of that pit. I can't tell you how many times people look at me in the middle of a storm or a valley or a pit and say, you going to praise God now, huh? Go ahead and show me how much you love God now. And you defy the odds and you put your hands up in the air on Sunday morning and you praise him on purpose. And they're going, now, wait a minute. You mean to tell me, I, I, I know what you're going through. 
through. I know what your kids have done. I know how your marriage is on the rocks. I know what you did. I know how you messed up. You were in a pit. And you're going to praise God anyhow. You couldn't even pay your mortgage last week. I heard they was coming to repossess your vehicle. But you go to church and you don't praise him because you got a vehicle. You don't praise him because you're feeling good. You praise him because he's God all by himself. And out of nowhere, them class count rags. And those rotten rags begin to lift you up. And out of man, for about an hour and a half or two hours on Sunday morning, you feel like you're on top of the mountain. Monday morning rolls around and you got something you didn't have on Friday because you've been praising God on Sunday. And people are looking at you like you crazy. I mean, there might be something to this Christianity. What they thought would never get you out begins to pick you up and pull you out of the darkest time of your life. I don't know. And there's a, there's a lot more. There's a lot more weapons I could preach on that's been passed down to me. Hey, loud preaching. God told Ezekiel, you go into an, a, a rebellious generation, whether they hear or whether they forbear, let them know that a prophet hath been among them. Right. In other words, loud pipes save lives. <laughs> I'm not against sharing, but I'm going to tell you something. If all out of God was, I'm going to share something with you. Can I please share? Can I share? I just said, man, share that with somebody else. You know what it took? It took somebody standing on a street corner preaching out of a King James Bible. It took a leather lung preacher with his eyes bugging out of his head preaching that book to get a hold of my heart. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need some more loud preaching with authority. And there's a, there's a lot more. There's a lot more weapons that we need to pass down. But those are some that I'm thankful for in my life. That when the devil come up against me, he had to cry, treason! He switched sides. This is the real deal. He got that old King James Bible. Man, he's a prayer warrior. He, he's got the faith that God talks about. And he's willing to praise God. If you just do those four things, I promise you, you're going to give the devil a headache. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Call up yonder. I need.